0: hi everyone welcome back to another episode of best regards brian i have another amazing guest one who i actually know from ut from freshman year i believe we met in absa shout out asian business student association and i know we both majored in finance but now we're in different career paths I'm really happy to bring on my good friend, Aaron. Why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. My name is Aaron. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and I'm going to the University of Texas for college, where, as Brian mentioned, I I studied uh, finance. After college, I went to work on Wall Street doing M&A at an investment bank called Evercore. And then about a few months ago, I I left to go work at a stealth startup in the food tech space, where I've been for the past
0: six or seven months. That's awesome. That's just a total 180. But I think in the best way, why don't you just catch us up on what you've been up to since college? Because, you know, we haven't chatted in, you know, almost a year, it feels like, or if not more, besides sort of the huge career transition. uh, What else has been going on in your life? Yeah,
1: definitely. So when I was in college, I interned at Evercore's San Francisco office. And so for most of the summer, I thought I was going to be there after graduation. But kind of the way that things panned out, I ended up moving over to New York for my full-time gig. And so that was a pretty big, I think, life change for me. I didn't really grow up in Dallas. I grew up in a place called Plano, which is, for those who know it, it's kind of the suburb of the suburbs, uh, I like to say. And so going to a big city like New York was a total 180 for me. Getting used to like all the little inconveniences of New York, like not having laundry in your apartment, like having to take the subway, all that stuff was, was a bit of a like culture shock, but I like quickly grew to really love the city. And I think there's like a huge like energy and hustle in New York that, that you can't really replicate anywhere else. And so it, it it's pretty energizing to, to be in an environment like this about, what was it like a year in? COVID hit and so that that was a really interesting time you know like you were walking around New York and you're so used to seeing just like millions and millions of people walking around and then I mean sure you can go online and and look at the photos of just like Times Square empty and it was it's pretty depressing to be in that I would say and then I went back to Dallas for a little bit but I've been back for for almost a year now and so really really glad to see everything opening up and seeing the city start to flourish again to be honest.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think there's a lot of concern that New York wouldn't be the same after this and everyone's going remote and working, you know, in suburbs and leaving the city. But I feel like that's slowly going to start to reverse. And I think there's going to be a lot of youth going back to the city. What, What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think that's like a really interesting question, right? Like when COVID was really getting into the full swing, like you had this big COVID exodus, and people were moving to like Austin was a huge destination. Like people were going to to Florida. Even Plano, for example, has had a huge kind of population surge in part because of COVID. I, I don't want to pretend like I'm the expert on the matter and, and I know what's gonna happen in the future, but but I, I kind of agree with you. I think that there's just a lot of opportunity in the big cities still, you know, and, and it's kind of anchored by a lot of great universities. A lot of employers have already rented out or built out really big spaces which are big investments and so i don't necessarily see us being like in a truly fully remote world and and like even speaking from personal experience i think being remote was definitely detrimental to like the degree of learning you can get early on in your career i think it's a little bit different if you know your workforce is primarily experienced hires you might be able to get a little bit more away with remote hiring but i i personally think that like being in the office is a huge like bolster to your career
0: yeah, I agree. I, I missed the office. And uh, I think I talked about that every other episode. So, yeah, I never, I, mean, I don't think
1: I ever would have said, like, if you had asked me like a year and a half ago, oh, like, would you ever miss the office? Like, I'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs>
0: like, no, I was trying to take every Friday off back in the yeah. days. But thanks for sharing. So jumping to our second question, you mentioned how you had originally gone into banking. Could you walk us through sort of what stood out to you? In that specific career, and then maybe as well as talk about why you transitioned to more of a startup uh, environment.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I would say with banking, I had a pretty typical path to banking that a lot of kids who end up in banking had. You know, early on in college, I joined an investment club on campus and just like had a great experience there i, I found it to be like first and foremost just extremely intellectual environment I, I had always been kind of drawn to business I, I studied business in undergrad and and what i really liked about what we did in the investment club was just looking at businesses in a very like comprehensive and holistic way uh and, and you're know, like we were doing this as like college kids right like we certainly weren't the most like absolutely most sophisticated investors or anything like that but y- you had to think about all these different parts about what it meant to be a business you know like where do they draw competitive advantage from? Like, and then also like where do they fit in the market? And, and like, does the valuation justify what the business does? And and I found that to be really, really interesting. And at the same time, a lot of the people that I knew through that organization were, like, frankly, some of the smartest people that I, I'd ever been around. And so I always think that a good policy is to be, like, the dumbest person in the room. I definitely think that gives you, like, the maximum opportunity to, to like, push yourself into like, learn. And definitely a lot of times when I was in those situations, I felt like, Dude, I really just cannot keep up with what's going on here. And so a lot of those people that were, you know, a year or two years or 3 years above me at that time, were going into banking like, well, if if a lot of kind of your your role models are going into something like it's probably a pretty good path to consider. And so that that really was what I think piqued my interest. I, I ended up doing a lot of internships within that area, doing some like investing for like a private equity firm and just I just continue to find that process to be very interesting. So when it came time to like, you know, both junior internship as well as converting to full time, like I I knew I I wanted to start my career in banking. But like, I would say like in senior year, I had a little bit of hesitation of, Hey, like maybe I want to be a little bit more involved in a business than kind of from like a, like an advisor or investor role. And and I didn't give it too much thought because at that point it's a little bit too late, but that seed had already been planted. And then as I went through my analyst stint in banking, I thought it was like a really great experience. Even now, like I think I do good work at my current role in large part because of the things that I've learned when I was in banking. And so I I have no complaints at all about my experience in banking. I think towards the end of the, the program, I was like thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I was like, you know, I'd spent most of my career, my very short career at that point, looking at like companies from a pretty high level. You don't get to know a company super, super well. And I knew I wanted to get a little bit more firsthand experience. it just be a little bit closer to like the actual business itself. I also knew I wanted to be working with earlier stage companies. And so that to me kind of narrowed my options down to like pursuing a path in early stage investing or working directly at an early stage company. It wasn't really clear to me just like personally, like how much value I could be to a venture capitalist or something like that at that point, um, just because I had been doing a lot of MA and a work, particularly like MA within like older industries. Like I was working a lot on like infrastructure and things like that. And then concurrently, I just kind of came across an opportunity at at my current company and felt like there was, we're in food tech working a lot with restaurants, which was just like an industry that had been really battered by the pandemic and just even beyond that needed to be brought perhaps into the 21st century. We've seen a lot of disruption within like retail, within insurance, a lot of these antiquated industries, but but that hadn't quite happened yet with the restaurant industry. So it kind of felt like the right time and the right opportunity. And I would get some really good firsthand experience with operating company.
0: Really cool. I'm I'm just speechless, to be honest. I think you yeah. know, a lot of us go into our first job without like a really clear path or like we go into it thinking one thing, but really once you're in the job and you're actually doing the work, you just realize what you value the most. And, and I think it's just really refreshing to hear from you about that perspective of finding interests and finding alignment through your role models but ultimately you, you felt that wasn't like the perfect fit. You still saw the value in the work you did. And it's not like it goes to waste or anything, but it's like, you kind of grow through your, your jobs and your different experiences. And I think that's just a natural progression that, you know, some people don't really think about, but it is, it is important to know that you're not always going to find the perfect job or like the best fit to your point, but it will teach you something. Right
1: absolutely. And I think like retrospect is always 2020 and it's a lot easier for me to sit here now and and kind of paint a picture where I had a grand kind of plan in place and (laughs) I had everything figured out. And, And just to be clear, like I, I definitely do not have anything figured out at this point. Um, But, but I do think that like something that I've learned is really just like understanding the grass is greener on the other side mentality. You know, certainly when I was in banking and and having those tough like days or weeks or or months, even there were definitely times where I was like, man, like, I I really don't know if I made the right decision doing this. All my other friends seem to be having so much more fun. But now that I'm out of it and looking back and I actually look back on it very fondly and I'm like super grateful that I started there.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's those, those moments of struggling and, and those tough moments that you really grow. And I know it's super cheesy, but they're valuable moments. And I think, you know, life wouldn't be as fun if it was just smooth coasting and, you know, no struggles, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I am just curious from the perspective of like your first career choice, for those maybe who might be interested, do you have like advice like on pursuing a career in banking or anything that really helped you succeed in, in pursuing the career initially?
1: yeah I would say
0: the banking recruiting process,
1: if you're at what they call like a target or like a semi target school is is actually pretty like well like well paid typically people will join some sort of like finance organization, particular like some sort of investing organization is super common through that like you really just get a lot of resources because a lot of other kids who are coming before you will have gone down that path and can give you like almost like school specific career advice of like, oh like As like a UT student, for example, this is how like our basically our competitive position lays out. This is what you need to do. Um, But it's a lot of like, I would say there's two key parts of it. The first is like networking. Most recruiting done by the schools is done at the school level. And so, you know, just like knowing who's running the recruiting process. Building that relationship, getting in front of the right people is really important. And you can also do like cold networking across like people who didn't go to your school, right? And and all you really need is somebody who will, you know, vouch for you and say, hey, like I think Swine Z is a good candidate and that they should be considered, you know, and then if you can get a first round interview, I think at that point it really is up to you to convert the interviews. And it's like there are tons and tons of guides out there when it comes to banking recruiting of like. What are the technical questions? What are the behavioral questions? And and it really at that point is I think like within your hands,
0: right? And I just love the fact that you mentioned the networking and the having those relationships where they're willing to help you out. I think is crucial regardless of the career. And, and just to bounce off of that, did you say earlier that it was because of a connection or an opportunity at your previous job that you're able to pivot to the startup uh, job that you have now, or what, what was that pivot like? Yeah, so
1: I, I had known somebody. At my current company who, like I had worked with actually in an internship when I was in college. And so honestly, just got a little bit lucky. I guess I did some decent work for them. And so they, <laughs> they were willing to to give me a, uh, like a referral, but, uh, you know, on that note, I think, especially like as an Asian American, like I, I always found networking to be very, like very out of my wheelhouse. Like I didn't really know how to do it and I felt very uncomfortable and it felt very like transactional to me, but, right. um, it, it's one of those things that I think really is a great skill. I hate to bring like, I don't know when we read this, but like in one of our business classes, like like (laughs) give and take or whatever. Like if you have like a giver mentality where even like the long run, you're always trying to help other people out as well. Then I think it makes networking a lot more comfortable, but I really do think it's a key skill that I struggle with, frankly, even today. But yeah, like I think with banking, recruiting, it's like a huge part of the equation.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> we're all learning. I think uh, it's always an awkward kind of thing where you're on LinkedIn, and you're like, oh, we have connections. I'm really curious about the role, but I don't want to seem like I want something from you. But I get it. It's, it's such a weird, yeah, especially from coming from East Asian background culture. But sort of just one last question more on, on that note. I'm curious and I'm sure since you're you're my first guest who's like at a startup, what is that kind of typical week or month look like? I bet there isn't, but you know, maybe walk us through what kind of problems or things you're solving at work.
1: Yeah. I I think like everybody likes to say like, oh, like I don't have a typical week because it's just so, so mysterious. (laughs) Um, But I think, It really varies on a week-to-week basis. But what I would say is I can categorize my work in a couple of buckets. You know, the first one is kind of a strategy component. So one of the things that I look at, for example, is like pricing strategy. And what does it mean to be successful when it comes to pricing? So that requires a lot of data analysis, kind of a lot of qualitative consideration, and then building consensus around like whatever thesis I propose. That that's kind of the strategy component. There's like the ops component, which is really just like, helping to run the business, you know, and it could vary very broadly from a week to week basis based on, you know, what's going on at the time, you know, it may be something like, hey, like we have customer support requests, and we just like we only have so many people on the team. And so you know, you weren't hired as a support person, but you got to roll up your sleeves and, and go you know, fill out some tickets, it might be, hey, like there was an issue with payments or something like that. And like, you have to go and, and rectify and reconcile it. So that's like ops. And then there's like a little bit of product, like one of the things I'm pretty thankful for is being able to work with engineers on our team and kind of figure out what are the the tools that you know we need to make our jobs scalable. And so that was a very, and it still is a very foreign experience to me. You, you certainly don't work with engineers at all in, in MA. and And so kind of trying to learn how to speak their lingo and, and kind of just like understand their conversations is quite frankly, like still a challenge to me today.
0: Right. I think that's not something you just like learn in the books or even anywhere in college. So I think that's, that's such an interesting take and it hits a lot of familiar spots. I think for me, I'm luckily able to be in a rotational program, although it's still kind of geared towards finance. I'm able to work with cross-functional sales ops and you know different folks that otherwise, you know, we might not get a chance if we're in such a niche role that is, you know, the same kind of work and, and the same career path. And, and I think that's really cool about being in a startup. Maybe uh, I'll have to join a startup one day. <laughs> It's a great experience for sure. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and Speaking of which, I mean, being in a startup, just having those kind of people around you who are, I'm going to assume are really smart, obviously, creative people, passionate people. Has that influenced you to start anything on your own? Or what has that done for you more so in your personal, maybe passion project side of your life?
1: Yeah. So actually, before I joined my current company, I actually founded like a, an art e-commerce site called the Nansen Collective. And what we do is. We partner directly with independent travel photographers, sell prints of their photography to customers. And then we do a profit share program with a photographers so that they benefit directly from each purchase and, and they grow alongside us. I did that a couple months, actually. Like the idea and the foundation was laid a few months before, you know, I, I joined my current company. But I think mm-hmm. we formally launched almost like the same month as when I started here.
0: Okay, so it wasn't because of them. It was before all that got it. That, that makes so much sense. I guess I have to ask, but like, where did that idea come from? And, and did you have any idea that you would start your own business like, you know, a year ago? Or was this sort of just naturally came about? Yeah, I think like it was the culmination of a couple of factors. You
1: know, as I mentioned, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do long term, or or at least post banking, was be in a a space where I was working with earlier stage companies. I think there's something very intellectually engaging about being in the kind of earlier stages of a business where there's not as much data, there's not as much of a playbook, and almost by definition, you're trying to do something that somebody else isn't doing, or at least improving on something that that somebody else is doing. And so it was like, look, regardless of like if I go work for a startup or if I try to invest in startups, understanding what that means as much as i can this early on in my career is is probably going to be pretty helpful i had studied business in college i had done banking and you know a lot of it was kind of looking at business as a high level you know i couldn't really honestly look somebody in the eyes and say like hey like I, i kind of know what it means to run a business. And so that was really the genesis of thinking about, hey, like, maybe I should try to do something just to like understand like what it means to run a business. And so I was kind of thinking about what was achievable. You know, I think it's fantastic if you if somebody can quit their job and, and just go build something. But like, honestly, I wasn't in that position. And so it was like, what, what is something that I find to be interesting that I also think there's somewhat of a market opportunity for? I don't really have an answer for how specifically it came up, my friends will tell you, like, I am not an artistic person, but it kind of just like fell into place where I was looking into and I was like, hey, this is something that I think I would personally be really into as a consumer. And it gives me an opportunity to learn what it means to to build something from zero. And who knows, you know, like you can bring some extra income to photographers. That would be pretty cool as well.
0: Definitely. I, yeah, I just, I really didn't know too much, honestly, about the business before this. So I'm learning as we talk, Uh, forgive me, but I'm just like, That's, that's awesome. I I really like you and me
1: both. I still learn about it every single day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess just going off of that, do you have to build your own clientele? Because you mentioned you work with independent photographers. What's that process of like, since now, what are we like a few months into, you know, after you launched, how has the business evolved if at all, I guess, up until now?
1: Yeah, I think it's changed in a couple of ways. When I first started this, it was like, oh, like let's just print some stuff, make sure it looks good, like it's high quality. And that really was kind of the extent of how deeply I had thought about it. And as we went through it, we iterated on what the business was supposed to be after conversations with like photographers. The key was like getting in front of actual people, like actual photographers and and seeing like, hey, does this idea make sense to you? And so the first question there was like, well, how do we source like leads? You know, how how do we get in contact with these independent photographers? If there was a site to do that really easily, then like our idea would kind of be point, right? And so frankly, like it started off by just DMing people on Instagram, like, yo, like love your stuff. You've got this idea. Just kind of wanted to get on a Zoom and see what you think about it. I think we gained a little bit more of an appreciation for just like the struggles that like photographers go through because it's like a digital format, it's a little bit harder to kind of protect and promote your ip and especially for travel photographers like in a year like 2020 where you're in the middle of a pandemic there's not a lot of opportunities to travel and so you know we kind of realize that hey like there's really an opportunity to try to help people monetize it right like if you think about specialization if photographers are, are really really great at being photographers and and maybe like monetizing that and building a site and doing marketing and and figuring out the logistics of printing like isn't something that they necessarily want to spend their time on you know, they want to really spend the time on, on letting their creativity flow. And on the offset, right? Like, I don't know the first thing about like being an artist, right? So I think that was kind of the second evolution of it. And then the third evolution that we've been trying to do recently is we really figure out like, okay, how do we put value behind our products more than just the physical product itself. And and through looking at some of the other players who are in this broad space, you know, you can learn a lot, actually. You know, one of the the companies that I look at quite frequently is a company called Iconic. And they do prints of like canvas art, but but more so around like a kind of a motivational ethos. You know, they're, they're very much about that, like always hustle type of mentality. But if you look at their website, you look at their Instagram, like they do a very good job of building almost like a lifestyle around it they have a lot of content around what it means to like work hard and build something for yourself. And so I think when we saw that, it was like, Hey, like all of that kind of plays together. Right. Because it's like when you buy into like a lifestyle and you own something from a brand that you think reflects who you are or who you want to be, then that product becomes so much more valuable to you as the consumer, right? It becomes so much more than just a physical printed product. So that's been something that we've been thinking about a lot recently in trying to do. And really it's like something that that is still like an ongoing project, like very much so in the planning stages.
0: Right on. I, Oh man, I didn't even think about it to that extent where it's like, you're really taking it out from just, this is literally, you know, your first stage was just selling just trying to sell transactionally like these different prints to how do you build a wider brand and how do you build like a customer base that, is going to be loyal and understands the value of your business, right? I think to your point, that's more important than just getting more sales, right? Like that's not sustainable. And I think that is such a great direction, but also well, probably the most challenging part I would assume, but on that note, I'm curious, like, it sounds like starting Nansen from the ground up was challenging enough, but you know, what other parts of this journey would you say have been challenging on you, especially working another job on top?
1: Yeah, I would say there's there's like the challenges of just doing something, running a business or, or it doesn't even have to be running a business, like just doing like your own kind of self-starter project and then challenges when it comes to like just balancing things. Right. And right. I think with the first part, you know, we were talking about this before the podcast started, but I think like a big skill that you start to learn when you're doing these kind of passion projects is is learning how to like resolve ambiguity. And I think that's a super valuable skill set. It's difficult to put into like on a resume or like really concretely write out. But it's like, you know, when we were first starting Nansen, it was like, we had to figure out a lot of things that were super basic. Like, how do we get our site online? You're like, (laughs) oh yeah, like I know Shopify exists, but like we have to host it. Like, what does that mean to host something? How do we actually build? How do we use the Shopify tool to build it? Do we need to buy a theme? And then it was like, okay, like how do we go like talk to photographers? And then people were interested in the idea. And then I was like, well, how do we actually make an agreement? Like we need to write a contract. Like, What does that mean? And then we had to figure out how to pay them, right? Like if somebody buys, like we do a profit share. like how do you pay them? How do you set up that infrastructure? You know, and at each one of those stages, like we were just resolving ambiguity for just like, how do you make an entity like this exist? Now that we've figured out some of those fundamentals, then there's more ambiguity to resolve, which is like things that we were talking about earlier. Like how do you build a true brand and not just a website? And that's, that's something that we're still figuring out today, to be honest. When it comes to balancing with your career, I think it really is just that, like balancing. Working at like a pretty fast-paced startup, you spend so much of your mental energy thinking about like what I'm doing in my full-time job. And really, to be honest, sometimes it's tough. Like to be at the end of the day, it'll be like 8 or 9 p.m. And I'm like, dude, I really just want to like sit in front of the TV. But like you have a commitment. I think it's like super important to remember like, hey, like these photographers that we work working, like the real people who like are expecting us to deliver for them. You know, this isn't just a game. This isn't just like a project. We have a obligation and duty to try to bring value to them. And so I think keeping that motivation and being able to compartmentalize these different mental models that you have in place is super challenging.
0: Absolutely. Just I know to a lesser extent, just starting this podcast was challenging and is more creative than my normal day to day. And so just you talking through all those different milestones just reminds me like there's a lot of effort behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see when you see the final product. Right. Whether it's someone, you know, as basic as in college, when you have this GPA or when you get this job or when you accomplish this milestone, there's so much effort and a lot of intentional actions being done in in the back end that we don't see. And so I really, really appreciate you for being transparent there and and just telling us all about that, because I know it's difficult, but I just didn't know like how difficult. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense there. Yeah, um, I remember like
1: when I was graduating as a senior, some of my friends who were younger than me were asking me like, oh, like, what's it feel like to to go into like real life? I'm like, <laughs> dude, the only thing I can really say is that in college, I didn't have my stuff figured out. And after college, I still don't have my stuff figured out. But like, at least now I can acknowledge it. But I, I think it's really important to like, you know, be honest about what is easy and what is not.
0: Right. And, and honestly, I'd be surprised for those who are like our age group that know exactly what they want to do. I mean, I feel like I like, you know, every month I have a different idea or I'm just dynamically changing and growing with my environment. Right. It, it just really depends on a lot of different factors where I can't just say black and white. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Or I know I want to go down this path. Yeah. I, I guess one of my last questions here is for those listening who are also curious about starting their own business like what kind of advice or insight can you share to to help them
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think the very cliche answer that you'll see if somebody like Googles it, it's like, oh, entrepreneur, like if you're an entrepreneur, then like you would have started yesterday, but at least you can start today. Like, you know, you always want to be starting it now. Like, do it now. I I think there's some truth to that, but at the same time, like a lot of it depends on where you are in life and like your risk tolerance and like your circumstances. I think conceptually the most important things are, as I mentioned earlier, A, like resolving ambiguity and B like being a leader. So depending on where you are and like what you're doing in life, that'll kind of change, right? In college, unless you're like brilliant, dropping out of college and starting a company was like probably not like the best advice. But being really active in student organizations or even founding your own organization, I think is really great because you have to figure everything out. Instead of figuring out how to set up an LLC, it's like, how do I register a student organization with a school? And it's like, yeah, like those two things aren't necessarily the exact same, but dealing with basically like a regulated entity and like how do you propose an entity to the regulator? right? And then you have to like put together a founding team thinking about like, who are the people who have the skill sets that you lack and being honest about that, and then going out and selling your idea to somebody and trying to get them to do something where like, that's never been done before. If you're out of college, and you know, you're working a job, I think doing something like Nansen, where you're, you're starting a side business is actually a really great idea. We live in a day and age now where startup costs are super low. And chances are that business is not going to be like a life changing thing, right? But if, if you can really, again, learn how to figure all those things out, and then make a story out of it, and like, hopefully on the way, way, provide some sort of value to somebody. I think that is just like the right way to start about it. You can always think about like joining a, like an early stage startup, trying to be like a first hire or like a first X number of people hire. But again, I think that those kinds of plunges are a little bit more dependent on your personal circumstances. You know, some people simply just don't have the risk tolerance to do that. And that's just the reality of things. I think it's a little bit disingenuous when you when you look some of these
0: things up and people are just like hey like
1: anybody can do it like everybody's <laughs> a founder like you should start a company you should start a company.
0: Yeah, too too much Gary V out here but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I just this, this notion of hustle culture is super super dominant right now and I think it can be healthy and toxic depending on how you interpret it and so I agree with your earlier points like it really does depend on your risk tolerance and honestly it depends on what is it that is truly motivating you? And what are you trying to get out of that experience? Because I think sometimes we get caught up in trying to achieve milestones without realizing all of the in-between work. And then by the time you get to that milestone, if it wasn't that meaningful to you to begin with, what what was all that for, right? I think we're sometimes focused a lot on these achievements and these titles when, I don't know, I'm trying to remind myself daily. It's about like that journey, you know, that experience. And like, Am I enjoying the process? I know it's super cheesy, but am I enjoying, enjoying what I'm doing on a day-to-day and, and, and just trying to find happiness in small ways? I think just trying to connect it to like a bigger picture. But obviously, to your point, you're trying to help these independent photographers and you're trying to, you know, drive value for them. And so that kind of messaging, that kind of motivation is so much more powerful than, oh, I want to start my own business because I want to be rich or I want to have like XYZ. I think there's a greater purpose to what you're doing. And I, I really appreciate you for sharing.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I would say like, there's two things there. The first thing is like, it's really easy to get lost wanting to get to where you're going. And like, I do that all the time. Like, it's super easy to sit here and be like, Oh, yeah, like, I'm all about living in the moment. But like, frankly, that's never how it did. And I always catch myself saying like, Hey, damn, like it'd really be nice if it was a weekend already, or if it was like five years later, and then it's like, life <laughs> is only so long, man, like you can't, you can't live your life waiting for it to, to kind of pass by. And then the other thing I'd actually say was about money, I think, Now that I've done the kind of banking to startup life, like a lot of people who are in banking will think about this and and kind of ask, like, should I do it? Especially right now in in the kind of environment that that the startup scene is in, it's like really easy to to just say, oh, like they're going to IPO, like you're going to be rich and like life is great. But I actually do think that money is a very good reason to pick a career if that's what's important to you. You know, like I have friends who are explicitly in banking, not necessarily because they love finance, but because, hey, like my life goals are to be able to provide a really steady like financial life for my family. Like I want to be able to pay for my kids' colleges and I want to be able to retire like a pretty early age while accomplishing all those things. There is nothing bad about that. Like I actually think that's quite a noble desire. I would just say that as the the kind of last thought is really being realistic with yourself, like what you want in life. And if that's like financial stability or really like having nice things, I mean, that's fine. That's just a personal decision. And I, I wouldn't kind of feel bad if that's really what somebody wants.
0: Absolutely. We're not here to shame people. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely, I definitely agree there. I think it really just depends on what you want. And I think everyone has their own opinion on, on that. So I, I agree with you there and, you know, appreciate you for sharing that. And uh, I guess just last question, like if our listeners wanted to reach out or look at your art or look at, you know, Nansen Collective, what what's the best way to reach you? Yeah. So
1: the best way is to visit us at www.nansen nansencollective.com. That's N-A-N-S-E-N collective.com. You can also follow us at at nansencollective on Instagram. We have a solid catalog starting, but we have a bunch in the backlog that we are onboarding over the next few weeks. So we've got some really interesting stuff coming along and we'd love your support and your support for our photographers as well.
0: Definitely. And I'll have all those links plugged down below. And, you know, again, thank you, Aaron, so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy, man. So you know, not at Aaron. all. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. Just sign off. Best regards, Brian and Aaron. <laughs>